Okay, am I on? There we go. Okay, okay. I'm getting situated here. I bring too many props when I come and do this kind of a thing. So, uh, Pastor Gary, thank you. Uh, it's my honor to, to speak um, here this morning. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always an honor to speak anywhere, but when it's home, when this is your home church, uh, just a, a special honor to, to do that. Uh, Pastor Gary mentioned that I grew up here in Aberdeen. Um, uh, my dad was the pastor at uh, the Church of God for, I think, 11 and a half years we were there. So I did graduate from Central. Um, the Screaming Eagles, I think our marching band was called at the time. I was not so much a Golden Eagle because I had no athletic ability, but I was a Screaming Eagle on the, on the marching band, uh, drumline, some of those kinds of things. So um, Aberdeen is home, and, and we're, we're glad to be back in, in the area. Um, I grew up in a pastor's home, and, and I did want to take just a moment to say uh, one of the things that really we fell in love with coming to, to Aberdeen First Assembly was that, Pastor Gary, I, I fell in love with watching you as a pastor. I, I've, I've told this to students on my campus before, that I love watching my pastor pastor um, because he, he has a heart for you, he has a heart for me. Um, and when I, I've invited him on campus to speak in my classrooms before, uh, when, I, when I do that, I know that he's not coming in with any agenda of his own, but he's coming in as a pastor to that group of people, um, and I'm so, I'm so grateful for that. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak here today. Let's just open in prayer before we get into the word today. Lord, I just pray that it would be your words that are heard here today. God, that, that you would speak to us and that you would... Um, just bring to us the word that you want us to hear. So God, we dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brad, let me be the next to congratulate you um, and maybe commiserate with you. Uh, he's taking his headphones off. Um, let me be the next to congratulate and commiserate with you. Uh, that that uh, th those are difficult things you've come through, but now you can celebrate or at least breathe a sigh of relief, I think is more what we do. So. Um, before I start, I would ask you to open, I tend to move quickly through my, uh, through my uh, sermon, so I want to make sure that you're, you're where you want to be if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Um, if you'll open to, uh, we'll start in Deuteronomy 6, and then we'll move to Joshua 4. So if you just want to kind of put your finger in, fingers in, in those spots, um, or mark them with a connection card in front of you or something like that with your bulletin, uh, we'll start in Deuteronomy 6, and then move to Joshua 4 after that. I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, um, you know, December is always an interesting time to, to preach in a church because you don't know, uh, kind of every church has different formats. So even when Pastor Gary had asked me to preach, uh, I asked him, I said, do you want me to preach on a Christmas theme? Uh, because it depends on the church how they'll do this. He said, I didn't have to do that. So I, I appreciate the freedom to, uh, to bring what, uh, what God uh, had spoken in my heart. But yet I think in many ways during this time of year, it's hard not to think about Christmas and about some of the things we're doing. So this is not a Christmas message per se, but certainly there's some connections to some of the things we're, we're, we're experiencing during this time of year. Um, and when I think about Christmas, I think about all of the traditions that, that come along with, with Christmas. I think about decorating the Christmas tree. Um, we, since we've moved to Ellendale, uh, we feel like we live in a small town in, in the middle of nowhere, right? We, we understand where we live. Um, so in that, we, we feel like um, we, could, we could kind of make things a little more rustic. So when we moved here, we started the, tr the tradition of, well, I guess driving to Aberdeen, but um, coming here and picking up a live Christmas tree that we can put up in our, in our living room. Uh, it smells a little better. Um, it just feels a little more authentic. Uh, so that's become a tradition for us, decorating that Christmas tree. We're putting up the ornaments and remembering what each one of those, what year that was that the girls were interested in this, you know, strange hobby or, or what trip that is connected to. We're, we're connected to those ornaments as we put them up there. Uh, when I lived in North Dakota, this one seemed a little more out there. I don't know if this is a South Dakota thing, uh, but oyster stew on Christmas Eve was always a thing. Is that a thing for anyone here? I see some applause, some, some silent applause. I call it Zoom applause, by the way, when the mics are muted and everyone's applauding. Um, uh, yeah, so for us, that was a big thing. That was, uh, especially my, my grandpa and grandma had to have that oyster stew on Christmas Eve, so we would sit there. I have to be honest, no other time during the year would I want oyster stew, uh, but I wanted those things to swim down my throat once a year on, on Christmas Eve, right? I just wanted that, that feeling of, of, that, of that sense. Uh, I used to, I used, we used to watch my grandpa as he would sample the stuffing. Uh, he, would, he would have to 
taste it raw before it was in the, the turkey because it had to be just right. And I can tell you it never had enough sage. It always needed more sage, more sage, more sage was his line over and over again. Um, reading of the Christmas story on Christmas Eve, this was, was always, uh, as a kid, this was a struggle because we just wanted to, you know, get to opening the gifts, but we always read the Christmas story beforehand. Now I appreciate it and make my kids do the same thing, right? Um, you think about all of these, these things that, that we did and all of these memories that are passed on from generation to generation to generation, and they're not just about passing on practices or passing on kind of empty rituals that we do, but they're passing on memories that are tied to deeper principles about what Christmas is to our family, right? So when I decorate the Christmas tree, I'm putting up ornaments, and as we're putting them on the tree, we're talking about what these ornaments mean. Do you remember when we got this on this trip? Or do you remember when this child was born and we got this? And all of the stories that are attached to those ornaments. Um, I have to be honest, uh, sometimes I, I, I'm blessed. I, I come from a, a, a very uh, good family, a family that, that has built these things in over generations. And sometimes when I talk to others who haven't been blessed in that same way, it, it breaks my heart to know that, that they haven't had some of those same experiences of family and, I, and recognizing that sometimes this time of year is, is not quite as happy and quite as memorable for good reasons than others. And that breaks my heart. I wish that more families could have that. Um, I hope if that's you, that that's something even out of this message today, maybe you can start to change the trajectory of that in, in your family moving forward. But I, I don't just think that because I'm, I'm a sentimentalist, right? Because I'm connected to sentimentality and, and, and thoughts of, you know, memories of days gone by and, you know, all these kinds of phrases that we connect with this time of the year. But I think that because I think there's a deeper principle tied to it. I think there's even a biblical principle that is tied to this idea of remembering and remembering well. Um, I think in a perfect world, families would understand this, we all would understand this better, that memory is tied to an understanding of deeper things. In fact, I think in the biblical mindset, this is a central idea. Uh, Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar, so you have to forgive me, I'm a professor, so I'll do, I'll do a lot of references to scholars. That's who I read, that's who I kind of interact with, so that's, that's who I'll talk about. Um, but this, he, Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar, and he makes this statement when looking at Israel's commitment to education and, and to educating the next generation. He says, every community that wants to last beyond a single generation must concern itself with education. Um, I think we can even kind of tweak that a little bit. I think Brueggemann would be okay if, if we did this um, because I don't think it's, uh, it, it's too far to say that this is a defining part of Israel's identity, this idea of passing along their identity from generation to generation, and that not just being education, but that every community that wants to last beyond a single generation must concern itself with memory, with remembering the things that have happened before and being able to tie those into what is, what is happening today. Every once in a while, one of my students um, has something uh, uh, kind of profound to say, something that, that I uh, take note of, and I say, oh, that's, that's a good statement. I think I'll use that sometime. Um, and there's one, in, in addition to Trinity, I do some advising for, uh, for another seminary, and in that, uh, one of the students that, uh, that I was working with made this statement recently on a paper that he wrote. Uh, he said, traditions are much richer than rituals we perform. They are teachings, ideas, and memories of those before us that we also partake in and build upon. A true tradition incorporates all of these things into the act. So do you hear the, the significance of that? Sometimes I think when we think of tradition, like something like the Christmas uh, traditions that we partake in, we can, especially those of us from, from you know, our, our faith background, we can think of traditions as empty rituals. And they can certainly become empty rituals if we forget the meaning behind them, if we forget the significance of what is happening behind them. But if we have that memory and those things then begin to uh, uh, commu um, uh, translate into our actions, then they, they look and, and do something deeper. Traditions like that of decorating a Christmas tree are really intentional moments 
for us as a family to remember, to incorporate memory into the telling of our story as a family. Otherwise, you know what we're doing? We're hanging cheap little trinkets on a dead tree we set up in our living room, right? What's the point of that? Well, the point of that is because tied to those little trinkets are memories, are pieces of our story that start to tell the story of, of what God has done in our lives, of what has happened throughout our history as a family. This is important for us to understand in connection to the biblical account. The biblical account really is a building of memory of what God has done so that we can translate that into other things. Consider one of the foundational directives um, uh, that, that God gives to Israel at the time when Moses has just brought them out of slavery. Uh, so they've just come out of slavery in Egypt, uh, and God has, uh, is giving them kind of the foundations of what it is to be a new people, a new people of God. Um, we read this in Deuteronomy 6, so I asked you to put your finger in there. It'll also be on the screen. Um, as Moses speaks on behalf of the Lord God, saying this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Just stop there real quick. Uh, that might be a familiar verse. You've heard that. Uh, Jesus uses this in terms of the greatest commandment and understanding this. Uh, this is also so foundational for Israel that this became a prayer, um, which in Hebrew translates as the Shema. Shema just means hear or listen. It's, it's a, a, you know, a command to listen, to hear. Um, and in that, uh, this became so foundational that three times a day they would pray this prayer. So moving on to verse 6. And these words that I command you to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, then, lest, uh, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of slavery. Did you catch that last line there? Then take care lest you forget who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Central to Moses, and really God, because Moses is speaking for God here, central to their concern is the issue of memory, that Israel not forget what God had done. Israel not forget who had delivered them into this place. Now, we, we skipped over just a small section there to kind of abbreviate things, uh, but in that section, uh, God is actually uh, reminding them that they're going into a land that, where they did not plant, they did not build, they didn't do anything. They were just being given this promised land, uh, that this is what God was, was promising to them. Um, it was the Lord who was responsible for bringing them out of slavery. Israel then was called to be a people of memory, uh, namely that they would remember that it was the Lord who had delivered them in this way. Um, so Israel was to be a people of memory. Uh, I was reading an article this week uh, uh, kind of looking at our current predicament. Um, anyone else in the room feel like 2020 is both the longest year ever and the shortest year ever at the same time? Feels like this year is taking a decade to finish, and yet March seems like it was yesterday, right? Um, and I was reading an article that was kind of explaining this. Uh, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember, the, the, a neuroscientist and researcher at UCLA who studies how our brains relate to time. Uh, so just a, you know, a narrow focus there, how our brains relate to time. Uh, but he was writing this article and kind of discussing how, how this is the case. How can this be that 2020 both seems like it's been a decade long and it also seems like March was just yesterday? How can this be? Well, the first thing in terms of why it seems so long is because our brains actually function primarily as a predictive device. Did you know this? Uh, so our brains, in essence, form memories uh, in order to be able to predict then what is going to happen in the future and to be able to predict what we're going to face as we, as we kind of continue in this, in this life. So we need to be able to predict things in order to know how to respond, how to react the next time we face a similar situation. Uh, well, guess what? 
it seems like Groundhog Day, doesn't it? We kind of wake up, maybe not us quite as much in the Dakotas because we haven't been literally kind of, you know, locked into our homes and, and, and not able to go to work and some of those things quite as much as other parts of the country. But yet there's a side of this that every day, there, it doesn't seem like the future is ever coming. If you, it seems like the future is just an idea now. It's not actually ever a reality. So our minds, in essence, are trying to reach out to this place that never comes, so it seems like we're sitting on the same day, day after day after day after day after day after, I think you get the point, right? It seems like we're kind of sitting in this same place on and on and on. So thus, it seems like 2020 started about 15, 20 years ago, right? Uh, Why, though, then does it also seem, how could it also seem that March was just yesterday? Because also, in, in terms of how the, the current situation has affected us, we're not able to do as much socialization. Um, we're probably not around family quite as much. Uh, we're not able to travel and do some of the things that, um, that, that, uh, that, that lend itself to this. So what we're not doing is we're actually not making as many long-term memories. We're making a lot of short-term memories, so we're, you know, we're, we're still kind of filing things away in terms of what we're experiencing day after day, but we're not having the opportunity to form long-term memories. And so thus, in our minds, there's actually not that much that, that kind of separates us from, say, March 11th, 2020 until today, right? So sometimes we wake up and we go, oh, how, how is it December already? And yet, is it still December? You know what? And we're kind of stuck in this, in this time warp. Here, here's what I want you to kind of sense from that, sense the connection of memory, the connection or, or the power that our minds have in terms of remembering over how that impacts us in our connection to the world around us. It starts to um, really define our connection. It starts to define our place in this world um, that is around us. Uh, these memories, these mental pictures affect time itself uh, particularly one's place in, in time and in the world. Uh, memory is not only about looking back then, but it's about understanding where we're going. It's about recognizing and seeing what the future holds as well. Perhaps this is why God modeled things the way he did. Perhaps this is why um, Israel, for, for God's instruction to Israel, connected memory so seamlessly to action. You know, sometimes when I read these articles, I, of course, I'm in, in the line of work I do, I do a lot of reading and, and researching and, and, and kind of understanding, trying to understand some of these things. But I'm always amazed when we learn new things about ourselves, then when we go to Scripture and realize that God knew those all along, it's almost like the Creator knew how we were going to be wired, right? It's almost like He understood these things all along, maybe even perhaps that he designed them that way. Um, So what we see then is we see this come up in Scripture. Throughout the historical accounts of the Old Testament, one finds a very specific pattern of instruction from one generation to the next. We're going to put these on the screen. Don't worry, you don't need to take notes or have these memorized by the end. We're not even going to read them together. But I want you to just note them um, up here and note the pattern here. Uh, when your, children say, when your children ask you, you will say. When your son asks you, you will respond in this way. When in, time, uh, when in time to come your son asks, what does this mean, you will say. Do you notice the, the pattern here? The pattern here is actually a very sort of conversational, sort of um, um, uh, interactive uh, sort of, of, of piece here. Uh, this to me is very interesting. Uh, in, in my teaching at Trinity and, and just my research in general, uh, this idea of passing the faith on from one generation to the next is really my passion. This is, this is where I live and work and breathe. And so this idea of when your children ask you, you will say, this is, this is like what I love about the, about the Bible is it, it teaches us literally what this looks like and what we should be doing if we want to maintain our faith um, in the way that God had intended. Um, and what we see here is really that Israel was called to a sort of testimonial memory or a modeled instruction, if you will, that they were actually modeling for the next generation what it was to be the people of God. 
that they were, they were living this out. And um, Brueggemann, I mentioned before, he, he has a, a whole book that kind of deals with this. And he actually talks about it, living it out in such a way that the next generation is invited to what he calls the mystery of the faith. I love that, uh, that phrase uh, because it takes the onus off me to have all the answers, but it actually gives me this beautiful picture of faith that I can speak to the awe of living in God's presence and living under God's power and God's reign. And I don't have to have the answers, but sometimes I just can pass along my own awe of what God has done um, in my own life. Uh, you might even notice in, in that list of um, of. Uh, uh, interactions that we mentioned up there, like I said, they're, they're conver- conversational in nature. Um, but uh, one scholar even notes that Israel's exchange of information between adult and child took on a very unauthoritarian, unauthoritarian, and yet authoritative feel. Uh, so the, the, the older generation was not uh, dictating things for them or, or speaking from on high to them, but was more modeling this and sharing what God had done in their life. In fact, um, in, verse, in verses 20 through 21, we see this very form. So let's revisit visit those real quick. Uh, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Again, we see this, this testimony, this modeled um, this modeled instruction, this testimonial memory that Israel is to, to present. This really made for a, a teacher-student or maybe adult-child, although I think we could admit that this isn't always adult-child. This is certainly a passing along from mature Christian to new Christian to, uh, you know, you know, whatever the generational factor is in that. Um, but it models this relationship was, was conversational, uh, modeled off, off of an invitation to question and reliant on testimony evidence of the teacher's faith. I think for us to understand this, to, to fully grasp um, the, this connection, we need to understand a little bit more about a biblical concept of memory. Now, again, no test on this. Don't worry. I know I'm giving you a lot of notes, but no, no test on this. Um, but Ralph P. Martin says this. He says, to recall in biblical thought means to transport an action which is buried in the past in such a way that its original potency and vitality are not lost, but are carried over into the present. The concept of remembering then means to go into one's mind, recapture the reality and significance of something that happened. It's not just remembering. It's not just a sentimentality. uh, It's not just an empty ritual but it's actually a deeper understanding. It's recalling something and realizing that that same promise, that same reality is for today. For Israel, this was about testifying from generation to generation about the things that God had done. It was about bringing these things back to mind so that they could remind the next generation of what God had done. Uh, And think of, if any nation in history has needed this kind of testimonial memory, this kind of modeled instruction to pass along in times where it seemed that God was not present or that they were not, you know, seeing these promises fulfilled, it would have needed to be Israel. It's interesting, again, I told you this is is kind of my my area of of, uh, interest for research, and it's interesting how today's studies actually point to the same type of an idea. Uh, so today's studies that look at this idea of passing along the faith to the next generation of, of Christians um, t- uh, continually repeat this idea of sort of this testimonial, this conversational, this interactive um, faith that needs to be passed along. Here's just a sampling of, of a few of those studies. Uh, the National Study of Youth and Religion was a monstrous surge, uh, survey, about 3,800 participants, um, and in every uh, participant, uh, represented a uh, originally a teenager uh, and their family that was interviewed for this. Um, the The study went from 2001 to 2015. So when you talk about studies, that's a monstrous study. Um, but this became one of the landmark studies in terms of how we understand um, a lot of what we're doing, even in terms of youth ministry, children's ministry today. Um, in this study, they discovered that parents continue to be the biggest faith influence in the life of of their children. Uh, it's interesting, this study was actually done 
uh, thinking that that had changed, that, that children were rebelling against parents' faith at the turn of the century. Uh, they actually found that was not the case. They were, they were representing, um, representing it, quite frankly. Um, so it found that uh, parents continued to be the biggest faith influence and also that young people who main, maintain their faith into adulthood have a relational connection to multiple Christian adult mentors. Uh, so if, if parents are the biggest influence, but they have connection to multiple um, Christian adults and, and mentors in their life. Uh, College Transition Project uh, was, was done from 2005 to 2006. Uh, later, it was published as a book called Sticky Faith, which you might have heard of. Um, this study identified the importance of everyday conversation, um, and especially on foundational issues and difficult issues. Uh, so when, when young people are doubting that they can come to parents or other adult Christian mentors and say, I don't understand how this fits with what we're talking about in school, or I don't understand how this fits with some of these things, um, that, that there was an incredible value in having these difficult conversations. Now, if I can uh, just, just put a, a bug in your ear, the scary thing about this study is it actually found the more um, Christian religious the family, the less likely they were to have these conversations. So I think that's something um, that, that is a, a, should be a shot to our heart where we say, okay, this is a check in my spirit. I need to be open to these conversations and having them well. Um, in this study, uh, research discovered that, um, again, there was this connection to multiple uh, Christian adults, uh, mentors in, in their life. Uh, Churches Engaging Young People study was in 2016. Again, this was published later under the, uh, the book name of Growing Young. Uh, in this one, they looked at the warm community of a church that was, was welcoming to young people. Um, they also looked at, again, uh, dealing with difficult issues that our culture arises and not being afraid to discuss some of these things as, as young people are, are starting to wrestle with those things. Um, they actually found that uh, there needed to be a connection to at least three adult Christian mentors in the life of a young person for them to have the best opportunity to um, carry on their faith to, to beyond high school. Uh, and I could go on and on and on. There's, there's study after study after study. One study uh, proposes that young people need a connection to at least five young people, that that should, or I'm sorry, five Christian adult mentors, that that should be the goal of every church. But you can see the theme here. The theme is this idea of connecting this modeled instruction, this testimonial evidence that young people have the connection to adults who can speak from their wisdom, from their experience, even from their own moments of doubt, their own moments of, of, of struggle, of pain, but they can speak into the life of these young people to encourage them. Uh, so Moses' generation, this was the call on them. So how did they do? Terrible, right? Moses' generation was awful at this. Deuteronomy 6 was the directive, um, and Israel, in many ways, was the exact example of what not to do under Moses' generation. What did they do in terms of remembering? Well, they remembered Egypt and remembered how much better they ate in Egypt, right? They kind of forgot about the, you know, the slavery angle of things, but they remembered how much better they ate in Egypt. So they would complain, and they would, they would constantly go through this. So their generation really does terrible at this, um, lest they forget and forget they did, right? Forget they absolutely did. So another generation comes along, and we're going to say this is a generation who remembers, a generation who understands and, and starts to instill this idea of memory. In Joshua 1, we see uh, kind of this transition uh, taking place from a people who wandered aimlessly to a people who, uh, with renewed purpose and power, a people who had a renewed purpose and power. Uh, Joshua 1, um, starting in verse 1, says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place... Um, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So we see the transition is complete. Uh, Moses is gone. Uh, Moses' generation is gone. And now God is renewing his promise to this new generation of people. Um, 
it is interesting, he kind of uh, drives home the point here. He renews this promise, but then reminds them, just as I promised to Moses, right? I, I promised this before, but they were not able to fulfill their end, and, and they were not able to see this through. Now I'm putting my trust, my hope in, in you in this way. Sort of added an, an unspoken charge that this generation must act differently than the one prior. So in Joshua 4, we see what would be different in this new generation. What would Joshua's generation now do differently than Moses' generation had done just previously? So start reading with me in Joshua 4, 1. When all the nation had passed over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the priest's feet, sorry, where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Remember that question. What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Do you notice what Joshua's generation did differently here? As they passed over the Jordan on dry ground, notice the correlation. We've seen that in the previous generation. They also crossed on dry ground, right, over the Red Sea. Uh, so there's correlation here. But as they crossed over, they stopped. They took a moment to listen. And in that, they did something which put in a new practice into Israel's, into Israel's mind. They obeyed in building an altar of remembrance, an altar of remembrance. Altars are, are kind of interesting uh, topics in scripture. Um, simply defined, they're any place at which sacrifices or offerings are made to a deity, so to a, a god of, of any sort. Um, well, scholars speak of altars in, in connection with kind of a variety of, of phenomena. The Hebrew word actually does, uh, does mean to sacrifice or um, to slaughter, um, altars were constructed at places which were considered to have a sacred character. Points with contact between the human and the divine could occur. Uh, although most other religious cults or religious practices, religions, uh, would use altars very specifically for the sacrifice of animals, for slaughter, uh, Israel actually uh, learned to do something different. Their, their use expanded out to more of a, a, uh, a symbolic nature, to where this could, could be something more. Altars functioned in diverse ways beyond their so association with sacrifice as reminders of divine promises, claims to property, and memorials of divine encounters um, and great events. So altars really served um, as memorials to moments where God intervened. Altars served as memorials to moments where God intervened. In fact, the altar that, that Israel builds here in, in Joshua 4 demonstrates this very purpose. Remember the pattern of instruction, these questions. When your son asks in time to come, you will say, or you know, what do these stones mean? You will say. We see that right here, and, and we read it, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to them? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to all the people of Israel a memorial forever. These stones, this altar, served as a reminder of what God had done for the people of Israel. But interestingly, God doesn't stop there. As this topic is actually revisited. It's actually almost verbatim repeated at the end of the same chapter, um, which we'll read in, in, uh, starting in verse 21. 
When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, and we'll skip to 24 here, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So this altar, these stones, this altar, served as a reminder not only of what God had done, but also an assurance of what he would continue to do. So it was looking back, but it was also understanding moving forward that these promises were still true for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. It was a passing along. Joshua's uh, generation had learned an important lesson. They learned that one needs a memory of what God had done in order to believe in what he will do. Each generation needs to remember what God has done in order to believe in what he will do in their lives and in their children's lives and in their children's lives and in their children's lives. It's kind of why we have this book, right? The scriptures remind us of what God has done. They remind us of God's power, of, of Christ's power, of what, not only what he's done on the cross, but what he's done in overcoming death. We, we see these themes play out. The reason it's so important to hide this word in my heart is because it reminds me not only of what God has done, but what he will continue to do. Memory is essential for passing along faith from generation to generation. I mentioned previously that uh, one of my favorite Christmas traditions was uh, this this idea of, of decorating the Christmas tree. I actually brought a few uh, ornaments with me to to go through and think about. You have ornaments like this one. It's not mine, it's pink. I wouldn't probably want a pink one, but uh, that just remind us of fun trips, moments where we had good experiences of, as a family. Uh, this one in particular, we spent a lot of money to go to a particular amusement park and realized we should have just sat on the beach the whole time. It would have been a lot cheaper and we enjoyed it just as much. But reminders of, of some of those things. Um, you know, this one takes me back to a very important day in my life when I tricked someone into saying I do. I don't, still don't know how she settled for, for me. Um, but it reminds me of that. That's a story that, that we visit sometimes with our children as we're hanging these up on the tree, right? Is how did that happen? Where did this come from? Because they say, how did that happen, Dad? How did you do that? How did you? We have other trips where they've connected with new friends. This is actually the White House. We were able to be there a couple of years ago. Um, an unusual trip. It was uh, honestly a, a God thing where, where some kind of acquaintances came out of the woodwork, invited us to come and spend some time with them. And now they've become some of our dearest friends that, that um, we were able to spend time with them. And now um, you know, we we're able to have that connection. Reminders of some of that. God has brought into our life. Um, I think of some that have deeper stories. This one is my youngest daughter, Olivia's first Christmas ornament. Um, when Olivia was born, uh, she was born to uh, uh, strange circumstances. When she was born, she was not breathing. Uh, so we were in the delivery room. We um, had just gotten done delivering her, and she was gray. She was not the color she should have been. Uh, they couldn't get her to breathe. Uh, in fact, my mother-in-law was trying to take a picture, and the nurse literally almost slapped her camera out of her hand because she was so intense that there not be any pictures taken at that moment. Um, and Jess and I were there with our new baby being rushed out of the room. We did not know what was happening. We sent what we thought might have been a dead child out of the room, and nobody told us what was happening. We revisit those stories because we're reminded that Liv is here, and she's alive and well. Uh, she has more energy than you can imagine. Um, but we're reminded of God's goodness when we hang that ornament on the tree. Last one here. I'm going to be honest, I don't remember which new home this is. We've had a couple of them now. Well, this would have been, well, this would have been our first home. But, but we've had a few different times where we've moved from place to place. We've transitioned, and, and the last time we transitioned, we transitioned at a time that was very difficult for our kids. I remember my oldest daughter, Peyton, um, said to me, and I have to tell you, I'm my, my most important, you can say whatever title you want else with me, my most important title is, is husband and, and father. And so this was, this was very difficult for me. We were moving here, 
Uh, the position at Trinity had opened. In many ways, it was, I couldn't have written the position better. It was, it was clearly a God thing. Um, but uh, the position had opened. Uh, we had accepted it after a lot of prayer and consideration. And my, uh, at the time, gosh, what, seven-year-old daughter, um, in all her wisdom, uh, said to me, Dad, why does it seem like this move is only a good thing for you? Exactly. Ugh, this really, I mean, I, that hurts. And, and, and honestly, and you know what we did? As a family, I said, you know what? You're right. So let's start to pray together that God would show us, if he's the one sending us, he's not just sending there so dad, sending us there so dad can be happy, but he's sending there and it will be obvious why for all of us this is going to be a beneficial thing. And I can tell you, what are we, about a year and a half ago, we were, we were going back to, to Sioux Falls and on the way there, I brought up that conversation. I, I hadn't brought it up much in between, I'm not gonna lie, because I didn't. it still kind of sat pretty heavy in me. But I brought it up on the way back, and both my girls lit up and they said, Dad, we never want to live in Sioux Falls again. We love Ellendale. Um, now, I don't know if that, they maybe would, but I mean, like, like they had come to a new place where they had seen how God had done this. And you know what we did? We literally stopped, well, we didn't stop, we kept driving, but in, at least mentally, we stopped in that moment and we thanked God for what he had done in our lives. He had taken us from a moment of questioning to a moment of uh, kind of a new revelation in that area. See, these are, these are trinkets. I don't know how much these cost, but not much, right? Um, you go into Hobby Lobby, they're probably... 50% off right now, so you can, you know, pick them up fairly cheap. They're trinkets, but they mean more because of the meaning that has been instilled with them through the experiences. They mean more because every year that we hang those on the tree, we are reminded of the stories that have come to form who we are as a family. For Joshua, the same was true. He took stones. They're stones. They they're, they're, they're literally just rocks. They, they have no value other than that they meant something because of what God was going to do. And in, he took these stones, and in choosing to mark this moment, Joshua took mere stones, and he made them into something holy. Why were they holy? Because of what they represented. Because of what they were now telling the story of this people, this people of God, and how God was shaping them, how God was guiding them, how God was forming their story to be who he wanted them to be. Stones become altars. Christmas ornaments become connections to the story that God is writing in our lives. Memory because, becomes something more than mere tradition or nostalgia, but it becomes a deeper connection to the promises of God. Ask the worship team to go ahead and, and make their way up. Ann Voskamp um, says, um, puts this well, I think. She's, she's looking at this idea. She says, this is the crux of Christianity, to remember and give thanks. Because remembering with thanks is what causes us to trust, to really believe. In this room, as I was preparing for this, I have to be honest, this is, uh, this is a message I've, I've shared on campus before at Trinity. But when I'm speaking to them, I'm speaking to a different generation. I'm really telling them to start marking these moments, to start thinking about how God is forming this story in you. But in this room, many of you have already had different stones, different altars, different memories that have been placed in your life. So my challenge is different because in this room, there are many stones, there are many ornaments, there are many memories of what God has done. So my challenge to you is different in that it is to begin to not only recall these things, mark these moments in time, but it is really to start to pass along these memories, to pass along these altars, to build these altars in the life of your family, in the life of your church, and the life of those around you. Because how do we maintain, how do we continually connect this faith faith to the next generation by passing along a memory of what God has done so we can be assured of what God will continue to do in days to come. Each of these memories, each of these altars built in this room represent 
what the next generation needs to hear. They need to hear from you about times where God intervened. Remember, moments where God intervened. That's what altars are. They need to hear from you about times where you doubted or times where you struggled or times where you suffered and yet you saw God come through in his goodness. They need to hear these memories so they can be reassured that God will do it again. Joshua's generation learned the value of remembering what God had done and how to pass that along from generation to generation. We must do the same. We must become a people marked by memory. We need to mark these moments. We need to take a mere stone or an ornament. And instead of it being something we hang on the tree and wait to take down on, you know, depending on how strict you are on this, December 26th or January 31st, wherever you fall in that range. Instead of it just being a trinket that hangs up for decoration once in a while, this becomes a story that starts to form not only your faith and your recollection, but starts to speak to the next generation about what God will continue to do in their lives. We must mark these moments, take mere stones, and make them into something holy. We must build an altar. Build an altar, build a memory, pass that to the next generation. Thank you for allowing me to share with you today. Um, I'm going to pass it to the worship team. They'll uh, lead us in some worship, and Pastor Gary will come and close. As we are thinking about what Pastor Mary just said, we can pass that on, but you know, when we pass on the memories, we also need to pass on the praise. We pass on the, the part where we're just focused in on God and, and what He has done and the good things that He's done. And I want to go back and revisit a song that we sang today. It says, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise His name forevermore from the beginning to the very end of our lives, from the beginning of time to the very end of time. As we pass that on to our children, the praise is in our hearts. The praise because of what God has done. So this morning, as we're concluding the service, let's do, let's sing the halfway through, oh praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh praise the name of the Lord our God. Jesus Christ is always one generation away from extinction. And if one generation fails to communicate to the next generation what Jesus has done, something incredibly value, valuable is lost. Thank God for the generations that will follow us 
thank God for the opportunity we have to tell them what Jesus has done. If you're a father, a mother, a grandfather, a grandmother, if you are a, a person of influence, an aunt, an uncle, if, if there is someone that you are a mentor to, it is your holy responsibility to say, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. This is a stone. This is what he has done in my life. And I want him to do the same in you. I believe that if the Lord tarries, some of us are going to say, let me tell you about 2020. And let me tell you what Jesus did in that amazing year. Pass it on. So that that message of Jesus Christ will not be lost on the generations to come. Taylor, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so very grateful for you and for your family. We're thankful for this word. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the privilege that we have of gathering together and worshiping the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you have given us this day. I thank you, Lord, for the memories that we have, what you have done in our lives. But may they be more than just memories in our heads, but may they be stones that we show to those who follow us. To say the God that was faithful, the God that was faithful to us in the past is the God who will be faithful to us right now, is the God who will be faithful to you in your future if you trust in him. We have a holy, a holy responsibility to bring these stones to future generations. Lord, I ask your blessing upon every person here today. I ask your blessing upon every child, young person that is in another part of this building. I ask, Lord, for a blessing on every person who's watching or listening today. I ask, Lord Jesus, that we would be your people. We will shine your light in these fascinating and, and, and tremendous times of opportunity. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be your church, your people, telling others about you, giving hope when there is, where there is hopelessness, giving faith where there is doubt, uh, bringing, bringing, Lord, encouragement where there is fear. We thank you. Your blessing on us, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ.